Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is Hello and welcome to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, your overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast where we are all gas and no breaks. I am your host Josh, joined as usual by my co-host Noah, and today is a special episode for the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast. In addition to talking all about the inaugural Sarkeesian coaching staff at Texas, we're going to be starting something that we plan to carry throughout this offseason by having guests join us for episodes to talk Texas football and Texas athletics in general. Our first guest deserves no introduction, but he is a writer for the Texas side of the football brainiacs, the founder and owner of Hornscast, host of 4th and 5 and Pretend We're Football, founder and benevolent dictator of our Longhorn Nation on Reddit, friend of the show, and my personal favorite punching bag, Will Bazer. William, welcome to the show. How's it going, y'all? Thanks for having me. I'm very, very honored to be on the show that is on my own network. (laughs) We had to start off easy. We didn't want to challenge ourselves too much. We figured you'd probably be the person most patient, knowing the product that we have here, yeah, that you would uh, be I the most it. understanding of our uh, difficulties dealing with a, a guest for the first time. For sure, for sure. No, it's it's been perfect. It's been completely seamless since the beginning. There has been zero confusion about what we're doing here. Exactly. Everything is perfect. We're a professional we, operation here. Very, very well communicated. Uh, anyone who's listening who I've already reached out to, don't worry. It, it's all perfect here. Uh, but Noah, how how are you doing? How are you feeling after a whirlwind start to 2021, and especially with the uh, coaching staff finally being announced? I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I've got this nice glass of Kool-Aid here, taking a couple sips, trying to decide if I'm just going to down the whole thing or not. You know, I, I guess that's what we're talking about today, so I'm happy to hear uh, the encouragement that you all are going to give me for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> all the peer pressure. <laughs> There is almost there is almost a very large fly in that glass of Kool Aid. There's almost yes. like a cockroach in that Kool Aid. It was a dangerous end to this week. It it was a little bit heart stopping there for a second. It was a cockroach time. tap dancing on the edge of that glass, and it was like I still don't, I don't know if I want to drink from that glass because it touched the cockroach, but like at least the cockroach isn't in there. So mm-hmm. well, I should clarify. I didn't actually make it. I just found it out on the side of the road, like a jug of red <laughs> stuff, and I'm assuming it's Kool Aid. It might be. Like it's a little irony. But we'll, <laughs> we'll find Tastes out. like pennies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just dive in on this coaching staff. Obviously, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, since we last recorded, uh, the last time Noah and I talked, it was still very up in the air, but we sort of talked about it like it was a done deal. Uh, but he is officially the head coach of the Texas Longhorns, fresh off a big national title win with Alabama and an extremely embarrassing post by the football Twitter account seemingly championing that trophy um felt very aggy you mean when we when we bragged about our heisman yeah our third heisman we had we had three people in the top five of heisman voting last year <laughs> just by Hell osmosis yeah. roll texas roll texas oh god so steve sarkeesian and his head coach and basically these last two weeks or so for texas fans it's just been non-stop refreshing surly refreshing whatever 995 or site you're on refreshing football brainiacs football scoop twitter in general reddit just trying to see who he was going to hire because those were all the big questions uh and i think for that we'll, we'll start on the defensive side of the ball and i thought this one really came out of left field this was the name that football brainiacs was the first to put out there 
and a guy who no one had on their radar, I don't think, outside of you guys at Football Brainiacs, Will, was the defensive coordinator and will also be the outside linebackers coach in Pete Kwiatkowski, I believe is the correct pronunciation. Not going for my full-on true Polish there. Well, it was his most important hire. But that was the general consensus is that if you're going to hire an offensive guy, you got to nail that DC hire. And he had quite a few good options. You know, Chris Ash theoretically is the floor for that search since he was already on staff. But I consider Kwiatkowski an upgrade there. I, th- I think he's really, really good. So I am super pumped about that hire. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting hire for sure. I'm interested to see a third defense in three years. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, it was. It came out of nowhere. Really did. Even for us over at the Football Brainiacs, it was uh, kind of, you know, just kind of snuck in, and it was a very tight-lipped or you know operation because nobody wanted to start a bidding war for Kwiatkowski because he was so beloved at Washington. You know, he he was a big reason that the defenses were what they were. And he was severely underpaid. So it would have been very easy to give him a raise at Washington. And he wasn't you know, opposed to staying at Washington. But because Sark was able to keep you know, a lot of these staff hires close to the chest, a lot of these came out of the blue, as Texas fans have now learned. And I feel like that was a really good move by him on his part. Because, you know, while they did pay a lot of money for a lot of these guys, it definitely saved them a lot of money and a lot of heartache. Yeah, definitely a far cry from the last couple coaching staffs where it felt like everything happened very publicly, where it was getting publicly rejected by head coach candidates all the way down to assistant coach candidates. Uh, Even just last offseason when Herman was having to overhaul the whole staff uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you saw names come up like Emmett Jones, who was at Texas Tech, is now at Kansas, or Graham Harrell. Graham Harrell out at USC. These were all names that got floated out there and it was like very authoritatively sort of shot down outside there. I didn't really feel like there were any of those instances for us where we had a guy that we thought was the lead candidate and then next thing you know, big announcement, he's taking an extension or he's posting a video on Twitter about how excited he is about next year in LA or in Barry Odom. Lawrence. There was Barry Odom, that's yeah. true. Well, and the, the other one I was actually going to point out was Jeff Banks. <laughs> I mean, we can talk more about him, but like he was the guy He was the guy tied in, and then, oh, no, he's going to stay in Alabama. And then suddenly he just kind of gave them the slip and showed up in Austin, I guess. <laughs> Felt like everybody was working from the shadows. And it was kind of a, a reflection as well as the head coaching process. We had a very public flirtation with Urban Meyer because I think that that's pretty much impossible to keep under wraps. But then after that, the athletic department... Nobody knew if we were going to keep Herman or bring in somebody else, and then suddenly Herman's fired and Sark is the coach. So I think it goes a little bit beyond Sark to the larger athletic department to keep things actually uh, within their bounds and not have sources all over. But yeah, for Kwiatkowski specifically, I think that Texas fans should be excited. I think one of the big things that's been talked about with Kwiatkowski in general has been the scheme he ran at Washington was very interesting. Ran... Uh, I've seen it described as a 2-4-5, effectively two down linemen, four linebackers, five defensive backs, which ultimately is, is going to be a play on, on a nickel base. But I think a lot of us would agree that we aren't exactly loaded with pass rushing linebackers who can also cover right now. So I'm very interested to see what form his defense takes, especially in this first year at Texas, 
with that in mind, knowing the personnel that we currently have? Well, I think Kwiatkowski is a good enough defensive coordinator, and he's done it in the past. And when I've watched his own film, he's very multiple with what he puts out there. So it's not going to just be two, four, five all the time. He's going to hopefully merge and mold his defense to the personnel he has. He knows he has more defensive linemen, and there's more defensive linemen in this state than there are great pass-rushing linebackers or great coverage linebackers or guys who can do both. I mean, it's very rare to find guys like that. And even then, guys who are like that, like Baron Browning, sometimes turn out to be, you know, they're five stars and great, and they go to Ohio State, and, you know, they don't succeed at Ohio State, even though they're starting and they've been starting for so many years. They don't – well, they do succeed, but not to the level of – they were expected to. So, you know, it's he understands what he's walking into. I would assume he would. Or at least he's going to learn very, very quickly that, you know, Benda and Jalen Ford are good linebackers, but I don't know how well they're going to fit into your system or at what positions. He does have guys on that roster like um, oh, uh, Prince... Prince uh, Dorba. Dorba. Prince Dorba. Yeah, I want to say Prince Lima Miele, and then it's like, oh, he's he's not he's not <laughs> Texas. Um, Prince Dorba, uh, or hey, you know, Marcus Bimage is coming back, and guys like that. Jacoby Jones probably works out pretty. I don't know if that is a linebacker, but could probably work out along there a little bit more. So it'll be interesting. I'm I'm expecting to see more three three five, or maybe even uh, four guys hands in the dirt and some downs. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that, Will. I think that he'll adjust. Um, I've gone back, watched a couple, couple games, want to watch a couple more, but like he's run a base 3-3-5 in the past. I don't think he has any real issue adapting to that. That's kind of what I'm expecting next year. It's probably what fits our, our personnel the best. So, you know, here in January, eight, eight months before the season starts, that's what I'm kind of hoping for as much as that might. What are you expecting for the rest of the season uh in January after we've had this coach for one month. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. He hasn't met the players yet, but let me tell you exactly what he needs to do. <laughs> let me tell you exactly how he's going to use them. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most mind-blowing part of all of the things that you just said about him being multiple uh, is based on these past few coaching staffs, I didn't realize coordinators were allowed to just adapt their scheme to the personnel they had available. I thought you were supposed to force square pegs into round holes. Yeah, no, that's definitely what we've seen, for sure. Uh, you know, Malcolm Roach, he, you know, when you heard him say to NFL uh, talent evaluators, like I was misused. You're like, okay, I could definitely see that because he was a hundred percent misused. Do you remember in 2019 when they used him as a middle linebacker? And they're yeah, like, well. no, you're more, you're more suited for a defensive tackle position that you were playing the year before. That's that's ridiculous. And yeah, you know, on top of that, 2017, you had Garrett Gray in his tight end, and he was your tight end. We're gonna we're gonna fucking run. I don't know if we curse on this podcast. We don't per- yes, curse we on do. mine, but pretend we're football. We do. We're gonna run, and we're gonna bash our heads against this 11 personnel until it goddamn works. So help me God. And it didn't. And then you, you know, lose they've got true freshman Cade Brewer, and we're still gonna fucking run. <laughs> we're gonna we're run the, the damn shit. 11 personnel. Doesn't matter what he's better at than the other guy. It's interesting to see, and you know, it, it it's very nice to hear when you listen to Steve Sarkeesian talk about different, uh, you know, it talk in different settings about how he was able to adapt his offense or his quarterbacks to his certain offense or adapt to the different quarterbacks. He definitely wants to run 
a certain system every time, right? I mean, most coaches do, but there's, you know, like Greg Davis, everybody calls him goddamn Greg Davis. One thing he did very well was adapt his system to the quarterback he had. Still the same system, always a spread, you know, read option. But, you know, he was able to adapt it to Vince Young or Colt McCoy, uh, Chris Sims or whoever whoever it was, right? Gary he was Gilbert. able to adapt it, right? Gary, Gary well, Gilbert. <laughs> Gary Gilbert was more like Mac Brown being like, we're going to force Gary Gilbert to the square peg, the square peg of Greg Gilbert into the round hole of a, of a downhill offense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work out, Mac, but you, you do you, man. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> and 11 years later, here we are. It yeah, all exactly. Out. It all worked <laughs> out. It was perfect. Come full circle. I was wrong, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think this process, as far as bringing in the coaching staff, was pretty interesting just because it all happened at one o'clock at night it all happened at one o'clock at night doesn't matter how important the hire was uh it was happening and being announced at one o'clock at night like it was supposed to be some late night news dump but uh a lot of the defensive staff Kwiatkowski was the second to last piece of the puzzle that was added to this coaching staff and typically the the general thought process would be you have your coordinator and then you build the staff to your coordinator's liking. We more or less did that the opposite opposite direction. The only guy that Kwiatkowski got to bring in was inside linebacker and now co-defensive coordinator. I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Jeff Choate? Um, I, I would imagine. I, it's got to be know. Choate, right? Choate could be Choate. The H could be silent. I don't know. Chody? Cody? I don't Chody. A lot of ways like to go. It just feels dangerously close to me saying something I'm not trying to say. But um, Jeff Choate. Yeah. The, I'll say the, it. The former head coach uh, at Montana State, uh, FCS-level Montana State, but coached a lot of years with Kwiatkowski, both at Boise State and at Washington. So really the only guy on this staff that has previous experience coaching with Kwiatkowski. I think it's a really interesting dynamic, and I think that it's good that we at least had the one spot for Kwiatkowski uh, because it helps with a lot of that front seven development and making sure that you actually have guys that are going to be on the same page. So it was nice to have somebody that could work with Kwiatkowski, since Kwiatkowski is traditionally an outside linebackers coach, right? So he needs to either switch inside or bring somebody in that he can actually trust to do that with him in the way that he wants it done. Um, so I think that it was nice to fill out the rest of the staff with guys that might have more um, traditional ties to the state of Texas. Like Bo Davis has been here at Texas before, right? Blake Gideon played here and is now returning home. Lots of connections in the high school coaching world. Um, and you've got Terry Joseph, formerly at Texas A&M, that'll have connections here. Uh, whereas Kwiatkowski has done some recruiting in Texas, but he he hasn't ever like been actually in the state. He's more of a Pacific Northwest type of guy. Um, so I think that overall it worked out really nicely where you have a nice blend of guys who can develop, guys who can recruit, guys who know Kwiatkowski's scheme, and also guys that have ties to the state. Right, I talked about it a bit in our show uh, two weeks ago or a week ago. I don't remember when. But what was happening is that you he wanted a certain type of coach. He wanted a guy who was a more attacking downhill coach. Uh, got Kwiatkowski, but the reason he had a bunch of these guys beforehand is because he didn't want a situation like what he saw against his rival uh, with Gus Malzahn and Kevin Steele, where there was basically you have two sides of the ball, two very different coaching staff. Not two different coaching staffs, but you know one coaching staff is – loyal to one coach and the other coach's staff is loyal to the other coach. He wanted a bunch of his guys in there that uh, it sounds like this is a, like a power move, but we're loyal to him. It's much, much less of a power move than that, but loyal to him. 
uh, you know, basically he, you know, would go to him as, as the head coach and, uh, you know, as a CEO, he wanted to be able to guy who hires everybody, not have to, uh, bring in a, a, a defensive coordinator who will then decide on the guys he brings in. He wanted, and that was a big part was he wanted his guys in there and, when you're able to do that, you're able to get guys like Bo Davis or you bring in a guy who you like, like Terry Joseph and uh, Blake Gideon. And if you don't, and when you do that, you know, you also take away a lot of the options you have at defensive coordinator, because even though like nobody would say no to Bo Davis, most people wouldn't say no to Terry Joseph, even though he's not like, the best hire ever, you probably wouldn't say no to him. And Blake, Blake Gideon's pretty good too. He's not, wonderful uh but you wouldn't say no to bo davis but at the same time uh you want your own guys there as a defensive coordinator so that you can trust the guys you know you've worked with them you know that they can put your system into place it takes a guy who's really confident in his system to be able to go into a room full of new people and say yeah we're gonna go ahead and change your philosophies around and put mine in and that's why that's what you have in Kwiatkowski, a guy who's been doing it for seven years. He's like, I want to change. I want something new. I want some new blood uh, with new people like Terry Joseph and Bo Davis. You know, Terry Joseph's defense. Well, basically, he was trying. Sarkeesian was trying to get. Uh, I think Ian Boyd put this really well in his article at Inside Texas. Was trying to get the defense from. Notre Dame that's now at Vanderbilt and he was like well I can't actually get the defensive coordinator there so I'll just get the guy who was in charge or was supposedly in charge of the secondary and the passing game there so he brought him in so you know now you have Kwiatkowski meshing with that and really this should be technically on paper a really good defense at uh, uh when it comes to stopping the RPO but again go back to my original point you know, he wanted his guys in there. The pros of that, of hiring everybody for the defensive coordinator, getting his guys and getting the best guys versus getting the defensive coordinator. But he was able to do both. Yeah, I think really the only knock that I think really anyone can have about this defensive staff is it's not heavy on recruiting rainmakers. I know Bo Davis can be that guy. He's, he's had instances where he has been that guy in the past. Uh, but I know a lot of people were clamoring, hoping for a Tosh Lupoi or a Corey Raymond, a guy who absolutely has those skins on the wall. You don't get that with Kwiatkowski. You don't get get that uh, with Choate. Um, Terry Joseph kind of does. Um, Blake Gideon is just so new that there's just a lot of question marks. He could he could turn into a rainmaker. He has we, the we ties. He has he the has, ties to the state. He does have the dad. ties. He does have those ties, but there is still that aspect to it of building the relationship with the player um, and everything else that goes into uh, recruiting these days, wink, wink, um, where Blake Gideon, Blake Gideon could end up being a full-on rainmaker. There's a lot of reason to believe that he could be a strong recruiter, but until we really see him consistently do it, in the end, he's still a question mark in that department. Outside of the coordinator positions, I actually think Blake Gideon might be the most important guy on this Texas staff um, from a, like, we need this guy to work out. Because if you go back to um, kind of how Kwiatkowski it has run his defenses in the past, they're very demanding on safeties. And the safety position is one where we are losing a lot of snaps between Chris Brown and Caden Stearns. Um, and Gideon, his his P5, 
experiences as a, as a special teams coordinator. I'm sure he worked with the safeties at Ole Miss, um, but he, you know, he wasn't a DB coach or a safeties coach. He was just their special teams coordinator. Um, so between that and kind of the newness of the recruiting that we're talking about, uh, he has a lot, I think, kind of on his plate that he's signing on to here at Texas. Um, and there are plenty of former players that are really vouching for him. Like I've seen a couple say that he was the smartest player on the defense back in, um, I guess, 2008. or one, one of the years he was here starting where we had like 10, 11, or all 11 <laughs> end up on NFL rosters, and he was the smartest one. Um, so I think that it's kind of we're he's a potential hire, and we're really hoping he's going to live up to that potential. But it'll be I think it'll be really interesting to kind of see how his career is able to develop here at Texas. Yeah, and you have the floor with Terry Joseph, who, as you see in his title, is secondary coach, not cornerbacks coach. So he's going to have everybody. He's going to be in charge of the cornerbacks and the safeties and the nickelbacks. You know, all the five of that two, four, five, and maybe even six. So. Yeah, you know, Blake Gideon, very important. I agree with you. I think getting him into it is going to be very important, but also Terry Joseph as well. And unfortunately, those are the two hires on the side of the ball that you're like, okay, we'll see what happens here. But those are two of the more important hires. Well, as we switch over to the other side of the ball, this one, I, I, I think there's a lot of familiarity. This is the only side of the ball where we actually did retain anyone from Tom Herman's staff. We have Stan Drayton and Andre Coleman both still sticking around. We'll see if uh, Oscar Giles stays on as an analyst, please, God. Oh, true, true. R. I R. know. Coleman Hutzler. <laughs> oh, my Will, God. <laughs> Will has been standing hard for uh, Oscar Giles to stick around. Definitely was in the camp of wanting to keep Hutzler around. So uh, you had, a, I mean, you were having a full-on meltdown about Hutzler, especially when we were hearing about Stoops. Like, there's no fucking way you let Hutzler go just to go get Mike Stoops. That was that was one of the more angry. I I don't know if I was as angry during the actual football season than I was when we thought, oh, when 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 Mike Stoops was going to come in in place of Coleman Hutzler. Like you replace Coleman Hutzler with goddamn Mike Stoops. Are you kidding me? Like <laughs> I understand that Cristo Conte is relatively new here, and. You know, Steve Sarkeesian is very new here, and they're both kind of buddies with with Mark's, well, Mike Stoops. And Mike Stoops, apparently off the trail, is kind of likable, apparently. But, you know, like not on the field, not in the coaching room, but like amongst buddies. He's kind of a likable dude, apparently, is what I've heard. And you get a I couple get that. brews into him, and he's a lot more tolerable, <laughs> I promise, Will. There are at least two people on Earth who like Mike right. Stoops. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I get it. Like, they liked him, and, like, they had worked with him before, like, TCU in Arizona and, you know, at Alabama. Like, I get that they liked him, but it was just so incredibly toned after bringing goddamn Mike Stoops over freaking Coleman Hustler, who turned your linebacker crew around. Like, he's a young... God, okay. Hold up. <laughs> Let's stretch out here. He's a young, exciting head coach, or not head coach, not yet. Uh, he will be. Uh, I'm, I'm putting that down here. But he's a young, exciting linebacker coach who absolutely turned around the weakest part of your defense. Like going into the last year, like okay, the defense is gonna be great if you can figure out your linebackers and your corners. Corners are okay. Linebackers are insane. Like at the beginning of the season, when nobody knew the defense, to at the end of the season, when. Jalen Ford and Benda were spearheading the goal line defense. It's a night and day, and that was Coleman Hutzler's job. So, 
getting rid of him for Mike Stoops makes you like makes you wonder about hey Steve what's what's going on here like what's what's up in that noggin of yours uh, are, are we all good still Hey, I get you, but in 1991, Mike Stoops did a hell of a job with the linebackers at some school. I don't know. Well, he was he was also a, in charge of the outside linebackers, guys like Stryker uh, from 2012 to 2018 when they were running the 3-4, whenever they ran the 3-4. So he had outside linebacker, more, more so like defensive end. I think the idea there was he's run corners, to linebackers, to defensive line. So he has all the things that you need in a very multiple, uh, you know, he has all the disciplines that you would want for a very multiple position that is going to be the linebackers in this defense. But it's also Mike Stoops. From Will Bazer. Mike Stoops would have been a good hire. (laughs) (laughs) We have have, successfully resolved why Mike Stoops would have worked out perfectly fine. Don't worry, guys. Anyways, offense. Uh, Offense, I, I really... like, like we were talking about before I got Will spun up off on his tangent there. Um, I, I, I think the big one with any offense is always going to be focusing on that offensive line. Uh, so bringing in Kyle Flood, bringing him from Alabama, former Rutgers head coach, uh, has coached offensive line in the NFL with Steve Sarkeesian when he was at Atlanta. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty exciting one because it's it's a guy who has proven that he can develop guys, which is something that this year we're we're gonna need. We're gonna have a lot of um, a lot of young guys behind the scenes that aren't necessarily the big flashy guys. We obviously saw how how many guys Herb Hand missed on recruiting this year. So there's going to be a lot of developmental prospects in that offensive line room come this fall so it's going to come down to kyle flood being able to truly develop those guys what what can he do when he doesn't just have five-star offensive linemen backing up five-star offensive linemen who are then also backed up by another set of five-star offensive linemen um and i think kyle flood has done a lot in in his past as the rutgers offensive line coach and as the head coach to bring those guys along to where you're not necessarily looking at him going, well, how much of this offensive line at Alabama was just because of the raw star, the star power that was there from the recruiting trail? How much of it was actually his ability to develop guys? And I think he's got a lot of reason to give Texas fans hope that next year's offensive line isn't going to be a complete disaster that offsets all of the other good things about this offense. And that was that was going to be my point. As you look at Rutgers and what he did there, and that, that should answer the question about what can you do without five stars? Because... I don't know if Rutgers has landed a five-star in their history, <laughs> and I'm, I'm certain that they didn't have as many as... Uh... Back in 1890. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that his resume is impressive beyond his work at Alabama. Like, I think whenever he was brought on at Alabama, it was a good hire because of his resume proceeding there, right? Um, so even if you discount the last two years for it being Bama, you can still be happy about the hire. Um, and I mean, I'll say that Kyle Flood, I'm so high on him that he was one of the reasons that I really came around on Sark. Because uh, the higher, like Sarkeesian's big strength right now is definitely the staff he's put together. Um, and like prior to that, I was much more skeptical <laughs> skeptical of the higher. Um, but Kyle Flood alone kind of made me much more open to, you know, seeing how the rest of the staff would play out with an open mind. Yeah, I, I was really looking forward to having two former Rutgers head coaches 
as your coordinators, it was one of the reasons I was really hoping that they were going to keep Chris Ash. Was I was I was really looking forward to having just you know a former Rutgers head coach at every Greg Schiano coming in, uh, coaching. I don't I don't know what did Greg Schiano coach before he was a head coach. I forget. Wide receivers, sure. He's a wide receivers. (laughs) He's your wide receivers (laughs) coach. Uh, You have Kyle Floyd as your uh, Kyle Flood as your offensive line coach. Uh, I don't even know. Brought back Drew Maringer. He wasn't a head coach. He was an offensive coordinator, and that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. you bring it back to your wide receivers coach. Let's give him another shot, right? It it worked out so well last time. He was so my favorite. He was he was very close to getting it done. Um, But yeah, Kyle Flood, man, I'm excited about that hire. He has all the credentials. Alabama fans were very upset to lose him, which is a far cry from what you had when you took Herb Hand from Auburn, and Auburn fans are like, ha, sucks to be you. Uh, so that's that's a nice change. Really, what's a really nice change about all these hires is the fact that people, like the worst response of it is like a lukewarm, like, oh, okay, like that sucks, but... I'm not. It's not going to ruin my day. To holy crap, our our program is falling apart. Like that's the response you got from these hires. So as a Texas fan, you could take that into account. Whereas you know when you had Sean Watson, people were like, I don't know about Sean Watson. Or you had uh, again Herb Hand. And I, while I like Herb Hand, I I always I feel like we're crapping on Herb Hand or shitting on Herb Hand. I liked Herb Hand as a person. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm sure he was a, he's a good offensive line coach, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe, maybe third time's the charm or fourth time's the charm. But, uh, you know, I liked him. He was a good guy. He seemed like he'd be an awesome neighbor. Um, but yeah, they, Auburn fans didn't like him. Penn state fans are pretty iffy on him too. So when Texas fans were like, yeah, we'll, we'll see what this guy is after you had Derek Wareheim as your offensive line coach. This is this is a nice change to get a guy like Kyle Flood, who Alabama fans were raving about before he left. If Kyle Flood wants to score a lot of points in Will's good neighbor category, he should really just buy Herb Hand's house that he recently left and see if Herb Hand will leave behind that like badass longhorn-shaped smoker that he had going in his backyard. I think that right there is going to buy a ton of brownie points. Get on a Food Network everybody. show, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. He would have been a really cool uncle. Yeah, I just don't want him anywhere, anywhere near my offensive line. <laughs> and I mean, with the post that I saw online this or on Twitter from Hayden Connor lately, who's been doing apparently a ton of cooking, ton of grilling, ton of smoking, uh, you can see definitely where Herb Hand would have bonded with with Hayden Connor because Herb Hand seemed to love doing all that smoking, all that cooking, and everything. I yeah, he'd be a great neighbor. Shit, if Herb Hand opened a barbecue place down the street, I would feel obligated. Like, dude, I got to check that out. I've seen this man post way too much food on Twitter for me to be like, no, not interested. I can't do that. Yeah, exactly. I, I've also seen him not find ways to get the offensive line to open up holes and make a freshman have to basically trip and hold himself up and carry himself through the defense just to get a, a simple three-yard gain. Uh, enough to know that I don't want him as my offensive line coach anymore. Um, I think the one really the biggest question mark, and this is heavily offset by the fact that Sarkeesian will inevitably be very involved with the quarterback room and calling plays and everything else, uh, is going to be the QB coach, A.J. Milwee. He was a QC guy uh, at Alabama. Sarkeesian referred to him as his right-hand man for the past couple of years. 
Um, and he was also formerly the offensive coordinator at Akron. I know Gabe on TFB was pretty hot to trot about getting Milwee. Uh In the past, when we were looking for new guys uh, to be the offensive coordinator, I think he was even standing Milwee back then. But admittedly, statistically, that Akron offense was not exactly... Uh, not exactly peak Mike Leach, Texas Tech level production when Milwee was there. So there's a lot of questions to be answered for AJ Milwee just to see what happens there. But a lot of those concerns, like I said, are alleviated with Steve Sarkeesian's involvement. Yeah, I wonder about quarterback development. But again, Steve Sarkeesian, that's your answer. Yeah, and I mean, okay, so my take on Milwee is that it's a good hire simply because what is like what is his role on this staff? All like his job is to be Sarkeesian's eyes from the booth and to coach quarterbacks in the way that Sark wants, right? And the only two things that those, like the two biggest things about that is trust. Your head coach needs to trust him to do those two things in the way that he wants them done. And Sark does. So to me, it's a good hire. And it's, as, it's really as easy as that. He's not the offensive coordinator. Um, Sark will be heavily involved in uh, recruiting and coaching the quarterbacks and the play calling, obviously. Like, you're not going to get an established offensive coordinator to come to Texas whenever he clearly is not going to have play calling duties and he's not even going to have the OC title. So, you know, what? Like, I've, I've seen a couple of people complain about the hire, and my question is just, who else do we hire there? I think the only other option is just to not have a QB coach, right? Um, and, like, I, so, I don't know. I'm happy with it because Sark is, and I think that that might kind of sound um, like an opt-out of the entire question, but... <laughs> but I, I'm just saying, if you look at what the guy is going to be doing realistically, like it works well, I think. I was expecting a lot more knee jerk on this podcast. What's up with this? I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm you, you thought hotter takes. Yeah. Well, it, it, AJ Milwee is the best coach we have seen on the 40 Acres in the past hundred years. Like this guy, Dana Bible, can't hold a candle to him. Absolutely. All right, I mean, he's I, the I, best I non-offensive coordinator, non-play caller, QB coach that we've had in the last decade. We, in the last month. In, in the, the last yeah, month. In, in, in 2021 alone, no one can touch <laughs> A.J. Milwee for quarterback development at the University of Texas. And I don't think there's really any arguing that, and anything else shall be considered Aggie bullshit. I agree. I think that's perfect. Yeah, um, so I, have, I do have a little bit of a random question for you all, and it's related to Milwee. Does Oklahoma have a quarterbacks coach? I assume do they know? do. Because then the next question, that. and like something I was thinking about recently, all these five stars that are going to OU, nobody goes because of their quarterbacks coach. They go because of Lincoln Riley. Lincoln and, Riley, quarterback, uh, he, head he's coach, the quarterbacks. Up QB coach. Okay, so I think that that's the only way that you could kind of point to being disappointed in Millie is if you wanted to use that tenth coaching spot on like a different allocation, like have a second wide receivers coach or move it to defense or something. Um, but I think given the way that Sark decided to lay out his staff, Millie is like perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. And especially like, like we've said from the top here, Sark is going to be heavily involved with the quarterbacks, with the offense in general. So it's not, even though there is going to be an actual quarterbacks coach by name, uh, it is not going to be all that dissimilar to the dynamic that Lincoln Riley has with his quarterbacks. There might be one other guy standing there in the huddle while they're talking through it, but ultimately, this is Sark's offense. He's the play caller. He's still going to be the one in the quarterbacks so you're making sure that he actually knows how to execute what Sark wants him to execute. 
Yeah, and he's the one that's coached, what is it, like six first-round quarterbacks during the course of his career. <laughs> I um, mean, I'm pretty sure we posted that on Twitter. So basically, Sark at Texas has coached six first-round quarterbacks. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Roll Texas. V for, v for Texas. V for Bevo. Bevo. Yeah. V for Bevo. All there right. And then the, the last one to, to talk about, since we already sort of glanced over uh, Stan Drayton and Andre Coleman being retained, they're sort of known quantities. Um, really the three most important members of the staff are all Jeff Banks. Uh, Jeff Banks, the coach, uh, pole assassin, his girlfriend, and most importantly, Gia the monkey coming in, tight ends coach, special teams coordinator. Uh, the fact that this man is apparently one of the most feared recruiters in college football still blows my mind because... You look at his picture... You look at his picture on the Alabama website. This man could not be more of a goober. Like, <laughs> full-on, like, he's out there. He's got a 12-year-old pair of New Balances that is bright green from mowing the lawn. In Hell yeah, yard. that's my guy. That sounds like my <laughs> type of dude. Hell yeah, yeah those you, New Balances. Yeah, me and Kawhi. Me and Kawhi, man, we go, we go New Balance hard. Yeah, so you have Jeff Banks, who looks like a goober in all of his pictures is dating pole assassin, a, I guess technically a pole dancer, an, an adult entertainer, let's just call it that. And she has a pet monkey that I'm sure Jeff Banks is very familiar with, Gia the pet monkey, who has her own Instagram page. It's probably one of the few Instagram pages that our Instagram follows, the podcast Instagram follows. But um, this guy, outside of his absolutely absurd personal life that he leads that I can only imagine will be made into a movie someday. It's got to be a 30 for 30 at some point. Um, a Longhorn Network feature. Yeah, replace, put that on instead of Bevo for Christmas, or at least <laughs> inter- splice that into the Bevo Christmas special, is uh, what Jeff Banks is doing with his personal life. But he's also one of the best special teams coordinators, and I think the fact that he's getting the weapons that he's getting, Ryan Bushevsky towards the end of last season, was looking really good. The punt coverage unit was looking really good after an extremely rough start with Jay Bulware last year. Uh, Deshaun Jameson continues to improve as a weapon. To give him arguably the best special teams coordinator in the entire country, I think you might as well just pencil in Deshaun Jameson as getting a cordial invite to uh, what ultimately will be Bijan Heisman time. Yeah, they could just put both number fives up for the Heisman. The Texas fives. These yeah, are the hot separated. takes I was looking for. I mean, these I'm just are saying. These the hot takes I was looking if, for. Once there, he's man. averaging two punt return touchdowns a game, how can you really exclude him? He'll be one of the three next year. It'll be Casey Thompson, Bijan Robinson, and uh, Deshaun Jameson. And Ryan Pruszewski. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the Ryan first Ryan punter to ever finish top five in Heisman voting, <laughs> Ryan Pruszewski. Are we, are we going with the hottest of takes that Ryan Pruszewski is going to be better than Michael Dixon? Ooh. That's the hottest take I've ever I've ever that's ever come out of my mouth. I, I, I think if we if if we're going with that, then we gotta say right now that Isaac Pearson is gonna be even better than Ryan Bushevsky. Like wow. that maybe maybe there's some sort of logarithmic scale of quality of Australian punters. We started at zero with freshman Michael Dixon. By the time he left as a junior, was like God tier. Then we had a little dip, but Ryan Bushevsky is gonna catch up and pass him this year. And, and Isaac, Isaac Pearson's Pearson is just going to keep it going. He's going to he's off to the races as soon as he gets here. Yeah, whoever we've got punting in 2024 is basically going to be a Greek god. He's going to look like Hercules out there. 
I'm looking forward to all the double punter formations we're going to be running next year. <laughs> <laughs> the only the only thing that will stop Ryan Bushevsky from having that big of an impact is the fact that Steve Sarkeesian's going all gas, no breaks, and punting feels a lot like breaks. Well, not it is, we it is if you don't know how to. Josh. Yeah, exactly. If you don't know how to use Ryan Bushevsky, it's a lot. It's a lot like breaks, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I I mean. I think Jeff Banks immediately steps in, becomes the uh, the bona fide rainmaker. Uh, he's he's your coffee is for closers guy. He's your Tim Brewster. Mm-hmm. He's your Tim Brewster. He's he's going to be that guy. He's going to be your volume recruiter while also still providing a lot of value as an on the field coach, not just on special teams, but I think even the tight ends at Bama under Jeff Banks have played extremely well, especially the guys he fucking stole from Texas and stole out of the state of Texas. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reason to be excited just with Jeff Banks alone. Yeah, yeah he, and uh, he already did well recruiting by bringing in the defensive coordinator you have right now. Yeah, that's true. Paul or Pete Kwiatkowski specifically mentioned Jeff Banks by name. Is calling up and being like, "Yo, you got to get to Austin right away." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was actually I was gonna will whenever you were talking earlier about the head coach having his guys not wanting to end up with factions, having some of that crosstalk across the sides of the ball is pretty pretty nice to see really early on um and jeff banks is inheriting what we've talked a bit about special teams but a really exciting tight end room i think um it has been misused the last several <laughs> years but jared wiley is a grown man <laughs> Braden Lybrock has tons of potential in the passing game um so it'll be i think really hopefully it'll be really refreshing next year to see how those two guys develop and then you've got um Oh, what's his name? Jatavian Sanders, the five-star who I for, briefly forgot. That guy. Name. Yeah, the, the one dude that's making all the one-handed grabs uh, coming in and supposedly going to get a sh- kind of a shot at both sides of the ball, and we don't know if he's going to be a wide receiver, a tight end, defensive end, but if he if he joins that group, um, that's a ton to work with. For He wants to be on the offensive side of the ball. He does? Okay. Well, Jeff Banks, here you go. Happy birthday. Um, have fun and hopefully give us some really nice production at the tight end spot. Did you mention Cade Brewer? Who? I think that might have been by design. (laughs) Who? (laughs) (laughs) No, okay. Actually, I like Cade Brewer. I think that he gets a really bad rap. Um, And, you know, I think Sark this year did show a lot of 12 personnel at Bama. So there's definitely ways. Like, there's there's a role on this team for Cade Brewer as the guy that can come in and really grind. Um, And, hey, Cade Brewer might win a starting job. I'm not gonna totally count him out um but yeah there's certainly a role for him in that kind of like the jumbo packages and and uh, helping out with some of that blocking he also might be a more natural h-back than either of the other tight ends we have so just throwing it out there i mean with with jeff banks here it's not impossible that and i mean we've seen it in the past um with herman's staff and with strong staff that there's one guy it seems like who just sort of comes out of nowhere going from being the guy everyone in the all the Texas fans hate saying, why is he still playing? Why is he still playing? We see the first depth chart come out. Why is he still the starting? What was it? Michael Thompson. Why is he still starting? Why is uh, shit? I'm blanking on on a bunch of names right now. But there's always one of those one of those players. It's like why why is that guy getting so many snaps? Uh, that could be Cade Brewer this year. Jeff Banks could take Cade Brewer and turn him into something, and all of us are going to be like, well, hopefully Wiley is even better than coming down the pipes because 
as it is right now, I think just about everyone with eyes would say that Jared Wiley is a far scarier offensive threat than Cade Brewer has ever offered. Yeah. So, okay. What was, um, oh, Andrew Beck. Okay. I was, it's been on my mind. I couldn't get Tim Beck off my night, off my mind for the 2018 hide in. Me neither. I can never get Tim <laughs> Beck off my mind. <laughs> no, that but, nightmare never goes away. But I mean, like he, Andrew Beck was really good. Um, and really important for that 2018 offense, just as a guy that could block and consistently help us out in the run game. Um, and like, I think that Jared Wiley is a, a good blocker. I'm not going to count him out, but uh, maybe Cade Brewer comes in and develops kind of like Andrew Beck, where he has that super senior year where he just feels a really important role for the offense. Um, so, so no disrespect to Cade, as uh, he probably gets a little bit too much of a, uh, of a bad rap, I think. But. There's the hottest take you're going to get on today's show. Cade Brewer, not that bad. Hey, I see. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Okay, we can we can move on from the tight end room. Lots of options. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> so I think uh, having gone through the whole staff, really the the biggest question or, or what are the expectations? Seeing this staff now, like Will talked about, is it's not made up of guys where it was uh, the guy the team we took him from. The fan base was celebrating that we took him away. Most of them were what the fuck? Why? What are the expectations when you have a coaching staff that's built up of what the fuck, why would he leave? And damn, I wish he stuck around and being anywhere in that range. uh, What are the actual expectations for this team going into the 2021 season? Will you want to go first? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, All right, fine. We'll do, we'll do the bad news bears first. I mean, I think eight wins is my expectation for next year. Um, I'm not saying that's my, wow. This is definitely not, the, the knee-jerk podcast I was expecting. This is well. I would argue that's knee-jerk in the complete opposite direction. You got to read. You have to have read the subreddit today, where everyone's going. Look, this year, if it was a normal year, Herman wins maybe nine games. Where you could have beaten Oklahoma, you could have beaten Iowa State. You were within a score of both of those two teams, and they're the two best teams in the conference. You go marginally better coaching, and you flip those around, and you're talking about a 10-11 win team this year in a normal season. Why, why can't Sark provide that right off the bat? Why is Big 12 championship not on your mind right off the bat? No. All right, I, I got this. I am prepared for this question. So let me tell you all why we're going to suck next year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're winning three games. Maybe Kansas is a toss-up. No, so the top two reasons, Oklahoma and Iowa State. They're both returning a ton. Brock Purdy, Spencer Rattler are both coming back with another year of development. Um, and they're both really good. Like they're going to be two top ten teams in the AP poll going into next year. Uh, so I don't want to see personally any projections of us being in the Big Twelve championship game next year. And I'm not writing that off as a possibility. But I'm saying whenever you have two really good teams and you have a roster that hasn't produced a ten win regular season in well, the roster hasn't at all. The program hasn't since 2009. Um, you know, why, I, and I get that this might be the best coaching staff we've had, but there's also questions about Sark's ability as a head coach. Like, we don't actually know um, if he can coach at the highest level. He hasn't ever done it before as a head coach. Uh, and so I, I understand the optimism, and I am not at all disputing it. But if we're talking about, like, expectations, which to me means, like, what are what's the minimum that we should see next year? I'm going with eight wins. Um, the, the ceiling is clearly much higher, and my projection is probably going to be, like, nine or ten. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at right now. For a guy who started the podcast off by telling us that you had a, a glass of Kool-Aid sitting on your desk (laughs) that you were going to drink through this episode. 
That is the least Kool-Aid response you could have possibly given. Yeah, I drank it. It wasn't Kool-Aid. I rich. It was actually bleach. Yes. <laughs> Just red bleach. That good old Clorox red bleach. Love it. Gotta love it. Yep. I don't disagree. I mean, I feel like if you're saying what's the floor, which should be where your expectations are, if, you're say, if that's what you're expecting, where you're ex- that's what you're saying your expectations should be is the floor. Well, I think the floor is lower than eight wins. I think that, my, in my view, the expectations is like kind of that happy medium of like what is acceptable. Okay, I see what you're saying. Then, if you're going with what is acceptable, nine wins probably. Uh, although it is a va- it has a very very difficult start for Texas, where you start off with two probably top twenty five teams in Louisiana and Arkansas. Then you have a, an easy one. So there's one Arkansas that's for sure. Being a top twenty five team. There we go. Hot take. A pretty spicy <laughs> take there. I think I, they're pretty good. They they left off on a pretty good note last season. Their coaching is not that bad. They're kind of turning around their program there. It's no longer what it was under Chad Morris, and it's they're a, they're a legit team. It's I, I think that they could be a top twenty five team, but when it's all said and done, if not because of just hype. Uh, so you have those two teams. You're going to Arkansas. It's going to be a difficult game. Arkansas fans hate Texas. Then you have an easy game. So that that one I'm just going to count as one, right? Uh, you're probably going to beat Tech. You should beat Tech. You should beat TCU next year, uh, even though Max Dugan is, I think, better than what most people think. And then he has Quentin Johnston, who's insane, uh, and you know, purple kryptonite. Kansas State. Skylar Thompson's going to be back. They're probably better. Still, you should probably beat them. Uh, you have Oklahoma State, who's losing everybody. It, who else am I missing here? Kansas, right? So that's seven, or that's six wins right off the bat. Am I, I missing? Iowa State, Oklahoma. Iowa State and Oklahoma are definitely not for sure wins. So if you're going through it, yeah, Baylor. six wins. Baylor, okay, yeah, Baylor you should beat. So seven wins. Seven wins is, is the for sure thing. And you have two toss-ups at the beginning of the year, so that's your nine wins. So, you know, in, actually just in, throughout the season, you probably have three three more toss-ups. You should probably, if you want a good coach, if, you want it, if you're expecting a great coach, you should probably get two-thirds of those toss-up games. So those, or I guess four if you're counting Oklahoma. So split them. Nine wins is what you should be expecting. Split your toss-up games. Uh, those four toss-up games and win the games you're supposed to. That's what you're. That's what you should be expecting as a Longhorn fan. Nine wins. Yeah, I. I mean, I think everyone in the fan base would count it as significant progress to only lose to the teams that we should be competitive or possibly lose to, and beat all the teams that we're supposed to beat. Enough of these nail biters against Kansas, nail biters against Texas Tech, when we're clearly a better team than what we put out there on the field. As long as we can show, and, and I'm not going to ask for necessarily consistency, because a lot of times with a new staff, that that is one of the last things to come, is that consistency game to game. But at least have that consistency come in where the win is just like, well, we should have won by more. We only won by 10 or 14, rather than, well, we escaped Texas Tech because Sam Ellinger went uh, Super Saiyan and bailed us out, and Cameron Dicker is the greatest onside kicker of all time. Yeah. Yeah, the bar is low. (laughs) (laughs) 
unfortunately, again. It's like hiring yeah. Mike Stoops and then not hiring him. You're going to be happy with whoever's after that. Right. Yeah, it's the old the bait and switch. What is it, the honeypot or whatever? Or is that a completely different thing? And I'm completely misusing that term. Um, but just if if he can start us in the tank, like if if we go into right before the Louisiana game starts and he goes, hey, just so you know, B. John Robinson is out for three weeks. And then we go, what? And he got, no, nah, JK, he's all right. And he runs for like 900 yards over the next three weeks. He, he's just going to tank the expectations. And then when we come out the other side, we're like, actually, that went pretty well. Even if you discount how shitty it started off, that all went pretty well. It worked for Oklahoma in 2019 when they said, oh, yeah, all of our offensive line is out. And then they came in and the offensive line played and they won. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, I, I mean, I would not, I would not complain in general if that's the level that we get to with Steve Sarkeesian, where the Red River Shootout, I think, is fair to expect that to really live up to the now unofficial name um, for at least the next several years. Uh, Lincoln Riley is always going to have the Oklahoma offense humming, and I think it's fair to demand that from Steve Sarkeesian, given the pedigree that he's coming in with, giving. Uh, given how good the Alabama offense was this year, is to have our offense humming. Doesn't matter if the quarterback's brand new like Spencer Rattler was. Doesn't matter if it's a four-year starter in Sam Ellinger. That that offense consistently produces. Maybe it's not going to win you every game, but it's always going to keep you in the game. I think that alone is something that's fair to expect out of the Steve Sarkeesian era at Texas. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, despite having really highly ranked offenses last year, kind of, it's always like that consistency, right? The like 2019 Baylor where we had it was one Keontae Ingram 50 yard run with like 10 seconds left in the first half that that's the only reason we even got on the board in the first half right um so not totally disappearing when it counts will be a nice step forward yeah I'm also gonna be interested to see how he uses his personnel Mm -hmm. that was a big problem under Tom Herman was stubborn usage of personnel I want to see how he adapts his offense to the people at Texas currently. Same thing for the defensive side of the ball. I want to see how that's changed based on who Kwiatkowski has. If you're forcing two four three two four five with this personnel, you know, I'll be interested in seeing if the personnel that they're using in the positions they have is correct. But even then it's gonna be interesting to say, okay, yeah, I guess if it's not working out, then maybe you should change it and if they do then great for them but that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty wild request there will if it's not working maybe you should change it let's let's be a little bit more reasonable okay yeah. full on definition of insanity that basically the reason texas has been texas of the last 10 years is full on definition of insanity yeah, yeah why I do mean, i keep doing the same thing and nothing is changing i don't understand it's it only makes sense in Tom Herman's mind to keep on using 11 personnel when you have no tight ends. That makes sense. Why not? Let's let's go deep balls all day long with no wide receivers. I feel that. That makes sense. To me, at least. So, yeah. you know, I'm interested to see. The wide receiver room is going to be interesting. You're going to have a Marier who will come back, and hopefully he's what he was in the fall ball that he is in the season with an ACL injury. And we'll see how he comes back from that. Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington, we'll see how they use them. They, I mean, and also Josh Moore. I, I'm interested in how they work around with those wide receivers because that's the part of the offense I'm the most worried about 
uh, still. The offensive line, I, I'm not as worried about, to be honest. I know you're losing Sam Cosme, but you're probably going to keep Kerstetter there, uh, hopefully. I, I don't think he's going to be leaving, and I don't think he's going to be fine. So it, it's going to be more, hey, as long as you can have a solid base of those guys up front, how are you using your personnel around that? those guys is going to be what I'm watching because Steve Sarkeesian has been really good about that at his time at Alabama and USC and whatnot. But we haven't been able to see that at Texas. And, you know, I, I'm just curious. I'm curious to see what it looks like in Burn Orange. Yep. Yeah, and I think even more than just the usual new staff, spring practice is important. I think for every Texas fan's sanity, we need to have spring practice and a spring game so guys like Will can watch the defense and either go, thank God, someone who knows how to work their personnel correctly, or so all the 995 sites can get Flip up, their get shit. fired up, and absolutely lose their fucking mind. Why are we running a 4-2-5 when we don't even have four linebackers who can just play inside linebacker, never mind blitz the passer? <laughs> hey, y'all know something wild? Our last spring game, the last spring game we had, Brew McCoy was one of the major storylines <laughs> in that game. That just randomly occurred to me, but uh, crazy to think about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to an actual spring game. And uh, fucking coronavirus. Yeah. I think at this point they've got it figured out well enough. Maybe, maybe in like legitimate terms, it's not really figured out. But college football has decided it's figured out well enough. To where I think every college football program, especially at the P5 level, is going to figure out how to make a spring game work, how to make spring practice work. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to doubt this year, barring something extremely catastrophic developing in the world that of COVID and epidemiology. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to expect that game won't happen. So there, there's some good news. It won't be quite as shitty a spring as we had last year. 100%. 100%. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. You can find us at, at the FSS podcast. I almost said FTH podcast. That's not our name anymore. Uh, you can find us there on Twitter and Instagram for more bad takes, as well as let us know suggestions as to who else you'd like to see us bring on for guest spots for future episodes. We have several ideas already in the works, uh, so don't think we haven't put any thought into this already, but we're always open to more suggestions. Um, and Will mentioned beforehand, we probably won't have all these guests do the whole episode like we've subjected Will to today, but uh, we'll at least have them in spots, um, have someone to talk to, whether it's, um, and like I said, it might not just be about football. We could talk about March Madness, could talk about baseball, just sort of see how things go, play it by ear. It's the off-season. We can just make shit up as we go, and there's no spring game to talk about yet, so until we really get to April and get to see that, we're not a recruiting podcast, so we're not even going to pretend like we have anything to say there. But, Will, I'm sure most of the people listening already listen to your podcast. But just in case, where can they find you online? Y'all can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R, wherever you find these chuckle fucks. You can probably find me too. Uh, so, you know, anywhere really on the Longhorn Internet, I probably lurk somewhere around that dark corner. Uh, so, yeah. 35 dimes. Yeah, 35 dimes. 35 dimes. Street Let's get it going. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us again, Will. Uh, hopefully you've had fun. But until next time, Longhorn Nation.
Hook'em. Fun's a relative term. Thank <laughs> you.